today we just want to welcome you. If you're new here, you can meet us in the Welcome Center towards the right, right before the doors from the exit. And um, we just want to say thank you for being here with us today on Father's Day. And I just want to challenge you. Um, if you had an amazing father and he's still here, to just give him a call and it will make his day. Um, and then if, if your father's not here anymore, I challenge you to be a father to someone. Um, take someone under your wing, mentor them, tell them today, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you're doing. I know it's hard, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, you're doing a good job. I'm going to tell you, you know, you can do this. You don't have to follow in the footsteps of your father if that wasn't good, but you can do this, and I want to encourage you. And then, um, you know, even if you didn't have a great relationship with your father, you didn't know him, I challenge you to just call someone who's been that to you and say thank you. Thank you for treating me the way that I should have been treated by a father. And then ultimately, just today, even as we're singing, um, you know, we're human, so we're not perfect, right? And I just thought of, thank you, God, that you give us the opportunity to know what your love is like, that we never have to earn it, um, that we don't have to be a certain way for you to love us, but that you still love us. You take us right where you're at. You'll leave, you know, you'll leave 99 just to rescue the one, just for the one to know that they are loved. And so today, if it's a hard day for you, just know that you are loved. Know that um, there's more to the hard time. And just look at it like that and encourage someone else and, and um, yeah, and enjoy the day. And just thank you, God, that you love us right where we're at. Amen. So I just want to let you guys know of a couple things that are coming up. We have a prayer night on June 28th from 6 to 7.30. And um, just this year, John's um, really been trying to seek God more, just in the smallest things. And then it's challenged me. And then we've both just seen seen a difference in like, hey, God, just the, just the smallest things like, hey, God, how do you want me to talk to this person today that I ran into randomly? You know, God, what do you want me to say? And um, we've both just had opportunities to talk about our experience with God even more when you're in that mindset. And um, so even I have a lady that I work with, and she's like, hey, hey, pray for this deal right now. You know, and it's been really cool because the next day she's like, it went really well, and it wasn't before, you know, and so it's just like she's having these little enlightenments, but she's asking me to pray, and I just think it's so simple um, sometimes when we can just sit back and be like, hey, God, this is not about, like, what I want to happen today in this conversation with this person, but this is about what you're speaking to me, um, and it doesn't make us any better it just makes him more evident you know it allows us to make him more evident in our life so I just ask you to come and join with us in prayer on that Friday night and even if you just sit there and you just need to just be in the presence of God that night that's fine even if you don't know how to pray that's okay that's how we learn right by putting ourselves out there by putting ourselves around people who are trying to to learn too and and so come out with us that Friday night June 28th at 6 
And then we want to invite you. We always do a pool party at Brighton Oasis. It's a lot of fun. Um, so you have to drive a little bit, but it's not that far, really. Um, but it'll be on July 7th from 6.30 to 8.30. You and your family are invited. Um, there's, like, a lazy river. There's slides. There's all kinds of crazy fun. We'll have some snacks there. Um, but it's just our way to say, like, we want to hang out with you this summer. Thank you for being a part of our church family. Um, come out and have fun with us July 7th. So if the guys will come up, we will get started with offering and let John go for it. So let's just pray real quick. Dear God, um, I just thank you for, God, these precious people in this building, God, the ones that aren't here. God, I thank you just for the blessing that they are um, in, in so many different ways, even to us and to each other. So God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of each other's life and allowing us to learn more about you together. And I, I thank you for the people that give, God. For the ones that can't give, God, I pray that you would bless them beyond what they could imagine. And God, we just thank you for your faithfulness to us, to our church, to our families. And um, we just thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your generosity and just know that our goal is to make an effect in uh, this area in our city of Thornton in lives and, and it doesn't and it comes through us as the, as the church as the as the family of God it's not a, a certain God didn't call a certain few he told all of us to go and to make disciples to teach and I'll, it might not seem possible today but I'm telling you it's very possible uh, like Hans was saying, more than ever, I'm having crazy conversations at the library. So I'm like, library, the library is my kind of, uh, I call it my, uh, like, I know it's my holy place, meaning I'm on. I'm, I'm pinpoint focused that people that I run into, I pray, like, under my breath, God, how would you like me to take these conversations? And sometimes I bother them for, like, I talk to this young man for over an hour and a half, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're working on your engineering project, and we're just... I'm talking to you about Jesus, but here we go. And, 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 and an hour and a half later, he was like, thank you so much. I'm telling you, especially, I, I want to speak to the men. There, men, there are young men all around us who need a guide, who need a father. It might not be your son. It might not be your daughter. But there's young men and women that need a guide, just like kids need parents so they don't eat, you know, glass. They'll eat glass. That's the kids are crazy. They, they, they don't know their limits, so they need a guide through life. But I feel like once they hit 18, 19, 20, 21, we're like, okay, do whatever you want since that's been working for you. You know, it's like, no, it's not been working for them. We, all, they, we also need guides in those moments of life. And those who have been through stuff, and we say, what, what do I have to offer them? Uh, everything. <laughs> They've never gone through so many things in their lives. And you're, maybe you're just one or two steps ahead and you're like, that is a huge mistake. Don't do that, you know. And we're just saying, do whatever you want, be whatever you want. But it's not true. We don't want them to do or be whatever they want because some, some of those things are really bad decisions. You want to guide them, right, as parents, as guides through life. And I believe as Christians, we're called to guide. We're called to guide. Even Paul says that we have enough mentors. We need fathers. We have enough guides. We need fathers. Someone who will step and say, watch this. Watch this. Watch this.
So if you're a guest here today, my name is John. I'm so glad that you're here, and happy Father's Day. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I get serious too quickly. That's, I am known for it, right? But we've been going through the series called The Way. Say, The Way. The Way. That was what the Christians were called back in the day. Christians, the word Christian was actually a title that they made fun of Christians with. And they called themselves the way, or followers or disciples. And they, they were following the way of their master. They were following the way of Jesus. And the goal is absolutely not more information. I'm telling you, the goal, we have enough information. We are inundated with information. What we need to do is say, Jesus, I trust you, and I'm going to do those things that you are doing to see what happens in my life. It's application. In the Jewish proverb, which I say much, it says, it, a Jewish proverb says, to know and not do is not to know at all. To know and not do is not to know at all. I, and I tell that to my kids, but they don't know yet, I guess. <laughs> right? They don't know it all yet. But we're putting the test to Jesus' bold claim when he says, "If you, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly to the full, the abundant life, the kingdom life, meaning the life you've always wanted but you don't know that you wanted it that bad. The one you were created for. We're always on this search and we're like, oh, I know there's more. And Jesus is like, yeah, I told you so. I told you so. I've come to give you that life, the one you're created for. But as Thomas Edison says, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work, right? It's look, it looks like work. And that transformation happens when we practice the way of Jesus, when we reorganize our lives. We don't add Jesus to our lives. When we follow Jesus, we actually reorganize our lives of what matters most, and I think that's a very hard thing because we're very good at adding things to our schedule. Isn't it true? You ever look at your schedule? It's absolutely full. So you have to like, nope, not going to show up to this thing. You know, I, I, I know I said yes. Not we, we are making trade-offs. But when we are reorganizing our lives, you have to trade off things that might be good things. But, but you're putting Jesus first. You're reorganizing your life to put Jesus his, first, his rhythms, his values, his ways. So we've learned four practices so far. The practice of joy that we believe that we need, must celebrate seriously. There's serious celebration. Practice two, the practice of prayer, a life with God. Practice three, the practice of serving. We are co-workers with Christ. We are not customers. We are no longer customers but co-workers. And co-workers have an intimate relationship with one another because you are serving together, working together. You have a mission together. And then last week, Hannah spoke to us the practice of scripture where she says, eat the word. Eat the word, man, have an appetite for it, and then share that what you have. Share what you have. And there was a lot more. So if you missed last week's, it was so good, so good. And this week is number five, the practice of confession. The practice of confession. Have you ever heard the saying, those who fail to learn from their past are doomed to repeat it, right? Have you learned that? Because that's personal too. It's not just something that happens in history. It happens in our lives. If we don't learn from our mistakes, we tend to repeat it again and again and again. And I know this is true because a lot of times I have the same fight with Candace 
over and over again because I haven't learned yet. I haven't learned yet, babe. And we have the same fight. I'm like, why do we fight about the same thing? It's because I haven't learned yet, right? I, I, we, we tend to repeat it. And, and don't be surprised you're fighting about the same things. And there are things in our lives that we have dealt with, this is serious, since childhood, sins that rear its ugly head in our lives over and over again when we least expect it or want it. But like, I want to, we're going to break down, I want to show you a video. What is sin? Why is it so bad? And how can we break the cycle? And they're going to play a short video for you guys. Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are. And that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people. Using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate. Because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin? This is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hair and not chata, that is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chata your way miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the Creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, and the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so, sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security, in his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned, I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, 
Chata is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. So in these stories, sin or moral failure is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet, he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others and he died for their sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live to do what is right. And that's the story behind the biblical word for sin. So good. That's so good. If you guys don't know what that is, that's the Bible project. It's an easy, it's, it's, it's a good way, not an easy way, it's a great way to have a conversation with your kids, and it's a great way to just to learn some deep theology in a simple, simple way. These guys are very, very smart at it. But I love the Bible project, and, and so it says sin is to miss the mark, even the things that we don't even notice in ourselves, right? A lot of the ways we sin, we think we're doing good when we're doing injustice. It's to fail to be more human God's way. And because we live in sin, it begins to grow. Sin begins to grow, and we start benefiting self at the expense of others. And then we're saying, it's, it's okay, it's okay for me to do this. We start making excuses for our sins, crushing our soul and the souls of others. So how do we get free from sin, especially those we don't see? Because for the wages of sin, Paul says, is death it, to relationships, to families and individuals, and at the end, your soul, right? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. In our reliance in Jesus, we can live the eternal life now. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalms 139. We're going to read from it. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And it's Psalms 139 here. I'm gonna, we're going to go. Th- it's an it's a honest and humble prayer of self-examination. When's the last time that you kind of just like, read your own mail? Like, where in my life? What are the things in my life that are keeping me away from you? and away from people that you love, that are made in your image. So I'm going to read the first 12 verses very quickly, and then we're going to run into it. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He's just saying, God, you know everything about me. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I love this. Where can I go from your spirit? This is when we try to run from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hands will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I love how he says that. Search me. Say, search me. That's a crazy prayer. I mean it. Have you ever done something that you'd rather hide? Have you ever thought of anything that you would rather God not know? Is there anything in your life that you would like to cover up, right? See, most of us, we like to put our best foot forward, and and we like to cover up the things we don't want to deal with. But in this prayer, it's saying, deal with it. Stop living on that. Search me. Then search me prayer is a hard one until we realize God already knows. God already knows. It's like playing peekaboo with a toddler. I was playing peekaboo this week uh, with uh, Gino and Micaiah's two sons. And, and, and when they close their eyes, when babies close their eyes, they really believe you're not there. Right? You're like, okay, peekaboo. And, and it's amazing each time. When you open your eyes, they're like, oh, I see you now. I see you now. And, and we think we can play peekaboo with God just because we hide or avoid or ignore your friends, ignore that call, or ignore your life group or, or church that God doesn't see you. But he already knows. So when you pray, search me, God's not searching you so he can know what's in you. He's searching you so you can know what's in you. Think about that. And then you can change. See, the prayer, this prayer is, number one, an honest reflection. Say, honest reflection. I got two points super easy about confession. It's, number one, honest reflection. We take an honest look at ourselves. And this is a hard one because we like to lie to ourselves. I, we, I do tell you, no one lies to you more than you. No one lies to you. No, you don't, we blame so easily, and it's sometimes it's really hard to own it. We look at our lives and we say, that's the reason I'm this way. We pick five reasons. And instead of saying, you know what? I got to own that. I got to own that. Yes, I grew up in a hard family, but I got to own it. At some point, I cannot pass this to the next generation, right? At some point, I have to allow forgiveness to go before me as I have been forgiven. We will never be free until we take an honest look at ourselves and say, oh, man, I'm crazy too. I'm crazy too. God, search me. This should be a common practice. The church fathers did a daily examination, uh, either morning or night, doing a review of the day or the review of me. First, they would think of, of, of the day, and they would think of the interactions with people the stress levels, the pressures, the activities that they did, and also the sins that stood out. What stands out? Let's do it right now. What stands out as you say, God, search me? And I want you guys to ask yourself even right now. You can do it quietly. God, search me.
Search me. What stands out? Don't be in a hurry to move on. How did you respond this week? How could you have responded better? What surprises you about you? You ever surprise yourself? You're like, where did that come from? Right? God, search me. What do you regret? What are you learning? Write these things down. God, search me. Text it to yourself. I always text myself. It's very weird when you look at my phone because you know that I talk to myself a lot. Because it says, John, and then I text myself. It's very strange. Now think about God's role. What is he pointing out? Showing you as he's searching you. This is so vital, guys. What is God doing around you? What is God doing around you? And how can you bring God in on what he is showing you? Listen, if we're not reflecting, how do we know where we are? What must change? And who, this is a huge question I've been asking every week, who are you becoming? And if you don't know, you need a guide. You need a guide. You need someone to tell you, like, don't go that way. I love the end of the Psalms, verse 23 and 24. He ends by saying the same thing. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious ways, my thoughts, and see if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So honest reflection. Number two, courageous confession. Why do you need to confess? Once again, not because God needs it. God already knows. We don't confess in order to force forgiveness from God's unwilling hand. He's like, all right, I'll let, okay, I finally, no, no, no. That's not how it works. He offers forgiveness freely. Confession brings us to a place where we realize we need God. We feel trapped. We feel stuck. We feel ugly inside, dirty inside. We need forgiveness. We need confession to get it out in the open because hidden sin enslaves you. And it's funny because there's these moments, these starting points that just enslave you, and then it starts getting deeper and worse, and, and there's these moments. It just traps you, right? It's like a cuff around the ankle. You might not notice it at first, but it gets, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. So we, we need to get hidden sin out because hidden sin isolates. It kills joy. It kills the soul. It kills community. It kills relationships. And we need Jesus. I love the video. It says his cross, his resurrection life, his power in our lives to overcome sin. I'm telling you, you're not strong enough for sin. We are not strong enough to overcome sin. We are not that strong. We do not buy into your own hype or your own spirituality. Trust Jesus. He has overcome death and sin, and he has brought freedom for us. And what we need to do is confess it, and we need to rely on Jesus. Trust him in that. See, there's this illustration I'm going to put up. It's remember the duck. Say, remember the duck. Weird illustration. I don't know why. All right, here we go. There's a story about a little boy named Tim, and you might have heard this. He was visiting his grandma with his little sister Sally, right? And now Tim, of course, he's skipping rocks. He's skipping rocks across the pond at his grandma's house, and then boom, he accidentally hits the duck, the pet duck on the head, and he sees him going under. 
right? Sally sees him. Sally says, I saw that, and you're going to get it. You're going to get it, Tim. And Tim was so afraid to tell Grandma to let her down, so he said, Sally, please, 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 just swear to me. Swear to me you will not tell Grandma. And all day long, of course, because Sally's so awesome, she begins to boss around Tim, right? Bossing him around. And when Tim starts getting frustrated, she says, remember the duck. (laughs) Remember the duck. She made it hell for little Tim here, waiting on her hand and foot. And if Tim would look at her crooked, she'd go, remember the duck. Remember the duck. Right? And he is miserable. He's feeling guilty and ashamed that he killed his pet duck. And Sally has him trapped. And finally, Tim breaks down and goes to his grandma in tears. And he says, Grandma, he confesses, I accidentally killed your duck. I was skipping rocks at the pond. I hit him on the head, and he sunk to the bottom. I am so sorry. And Grandma, with gracious eyes, hugged him and said, I already know. I saw you do it, (laughs) and I forgave you right then. I was just wondering how long you'd let Sally keep you prisoner. In the same way, God already knows. Confession isn't to inform him of what you've done. Confession is to receive the forgiveness that he's already given. Confession is ultimately, it isn't for God. It's for you. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all righteousness. And I'm telling you, this is all sin. It's not just the small ones that you think God's going to forgive you of. It's the sins that have been brewing in your life for years that have been causing wreckage in your family. Why do we shy away from confession? It's because we're afraid of the consequences. We've all confessed something, and we've been crushed. We've been angered with anger and shame, and we've been rejected. We're so afraid. But the Bible promises when we confess to God, we will find mercy every time. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive you and purify you every time. Because when we confess to God, first we receive forgiveness and freedom from guilt. And second, you are less likely to do the same thing again. You're dealing with the problem, and you can change. Sin will look and feel less attractive as you confess. Now, let's take one step further. This is a hard one. It says, confess to one another. This is a hard one. With someone you trust in, but they love you enough to keep you accountable. Don't confess to people who don't care about sin in your life. I mean it. When they're like... I'm cool with that. Like, God's not holy like that. No, he's holy like that. And he's not cool with that. He wants change in your life. He loves you too much for you to rot in your sin and to hurt everyone around you, breaking that. So don't confess to people that take sin lightly. We need truth. I mean it. When when some people speak truth in my life and I don't like it, I still have to take it in and ask God, God, how are you speaking to me through this, even though I don't like this at all? Because we need to be bold enough to face when people are honest enough, even if we don't like to take it lightly, you know, we, or we don't like to take it easily, right? Life group is that place at Hill City. People love 
you, but also love God. People who will pray for you, but and also want the best for you. We all need a spiritual squad, and that's when the church is at its best. James five sixteen says, "Confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another." Do do we pray for one another? As I've been taking just prayer in the little things so seriously, even purchasing stuff, I've been asking God, do you want me to purchase this? Have you, have you asked God in the little stuff? And he's like, no. You're like, ah, oh, I really want it. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, do you want me to pray? Okay, you already said no. Okay, let's move on, right? And, and you start, you, when we start adding God into everything that we do, you, you can see him start leading you. It's like, have that conversation right there. Just say Hello. Tell him. Tell him. How am I going to tell him about Jesus? He's going to probably ask you. You, you. Go ahead. You start. Right? It's been having these wonderful moments that God has been moving just for us to ask God, what do you want me to do right now? What do you want me to do? And he'll tell you. He'll tell you. See, we confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. And, when you, and also when you overcome sin, and this is so important, your weakness can, be someone, can become your testimony to set others free. It's not always about us. Our weaknesses can become a testimony to set others free. Your hurts can become someone else's healing. I mean it. And in closing, let's just stand. I believe reflection and confession does not happen nearly enough. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and take a moment just let me speak to you with your eyes closed. Too many times, confession is our last resort instead of our first instinct. As if we can fix ourselves and save ourselves. For us today, I want to ask you, when was the last time you really sat down and evaluated your life? Your shortcomings, your temper, the things that you're doing well at, your anger, your greed, your hang-ups. You ever ask God, am I greedy, God? Do I blame God? Am I not taking responsibility for some of these things in my life? Maybe confession needs to be something that happens today for you. I know it does. That's where transformation starts. We are never too spiritual for confession. I actually believe the more mature you get in Christ, the more we confess. And we say, God, I don't want to be away from you at all throughout the day. I don't want anything between me and you, Jesus. So I confess this because I would rather be with you and wrong than be right, Lord, and be away from you. It's a heart of loving God is confession. I want to bring you in on everything, the interior thoughts and patterns of my life. God, help me. I'm going to put that scripture one last time in Psalms 139. I want us to read it together. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this moment, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you're already showing us areas of our life, Lord, when we say, search me. And you're like, I will, and I'll show you. I'll show you the way of everlasting. There's sins that we hold on to that really have a hold on us, that separate us from our family and that separate us 
from God. And we can't carry that guilt anymore, that burden that we carry. And all we hear is, remember the duck? Remember what you did? We have an enemy that throws that at us daily. Every time we're doing good, remember the duck? Remember what you did? Remember what you're doing? It's time to get free. Stop trying to save yourself and trying to hold yourself together. You can't do it. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross for us because we could not carry our own burdens we or our own sin. Sin would crush us and kill us so, and it separate us from one another who are made in the image of God. So I pray in the name of Jesus, set free people today as we confess our sins, Lord God, to you. God, we need you. We need you to save us, Lord God. Lord, draw us close to you, Lord God. We confess and we believe, Lord. We thank you. Just take one more moment just to think. Father, as we leave today, Lord God, we leave a little lighter, Lord God, and I pray you start to fill those spaces that we have emptied out with your joy and with people, Lord God, that can guide us, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus, give us God opportunities where we see you clearly and we ask you, search me. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you guys.